Hello and welcome to the first season of the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon, based in a Lehigh Valley part of Pennsylvania. I'm a 1997 graduate of the College of New Jersey with a journalism degree who has worked in sports media for 25 years. For the last three months, I have been sending daily journalism salutes on social media, pairing them with donations to a wide range of journalistic organizations. My intent was to counter cries of fake news, lamestream media, and enemy of the people by doing a little of whatever I could each day to help. The next phase of this project is to learn more about the groups that I've been saluting. That's where these interviews come in. Who are these groups? What do they do? What do they do best? And why are they so important to our present and our future? We'll talk to people from a diverse set of organizations to try to learn more. Thank you for joining me. On this episode, we're joined by Eve Perlman. Eve is the co-founder and CEO of Spaceship Media. I'll let her explain who they are and what they do. Eve is a longtime journalist who has been an editor and writer for the Patch family of websites, worked internationally in London, and was an editor for an education news source in California. I highly recommend watching her TED Talk. I got steered to this company by listening to a podcast interview with Jeff Jarvis, another journalist. First thing that I would ask, I'm, I'm fascinated by the origin of the organization, starting with the name. Why is it named Spaceship Media? Hey, Marco. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a, a delight. And um, thank you for that nice intro. Um, you are not the first person to ask about the name. Um, we came up with it um, by a whole lot of back and forth, um, thinking about what would be notable, what would be memorable, what would be, um, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, invite curiosity and wonder. Um, and we settled on it because uh, it invites going somewhere new, right? Invites exploration, um, which is a lot of what we do in our work. Um, both we invite the exploration um, of the journalists we partner with and also people who are participating in, in our conversations, participating in our journalism. So uh, it turns out to be a, a, a great name for um, what we're up to. I have uh, reached out to, donated to, researched um, more than 90 different organizations and yours is unique in a number of ways. It is uh, involved in the field of dialogue journalism. Explain uh, exactly uh, what your company does. I will do that and I will urge you to interrupt me or redirect me if you want because I can go on and on and on about this. It's um, been a labor of love and a lot of joy. Uh, but uh, what, what, what we do um, in, the, in, in reasonably succinct, succinct terms is we, we use journalism um, to, to convene conversations of people across uh, social and political fractures. And so um, it starts with a reconceptualization of, of journalistic practice. Like what, how can journalists do what they've always done? You know, go to the heart of divides, go to points of tension, go to um, places where news is happening. But then when they are, when arriving there, um, metaphorically, how can we do something different? How can we, instead of uh, practicing in our craft in a way that heightens divides or amplifies divides, really think about teasing forth nuance um, and really think about 
um, getting a wider rate of voices involved, not the most practice and practice partisan voices, but every, every, everyday people. So dialogue journalism is the name we give to the seven step process we've developed for convening conversations of, of people across difference and supporting them with facts. So for example, um, we did a conversation about guns, um, guns and gun safety. We did it in partnership with Advance, um, which runs a network of, of local news sites across the country and some other, some other properties. And what we did is we asked people on all uh, sides of the debate about guns to come together in a closed, moderated Facebook group to talk about their ideas about it. And then we, we support those conversations with reporting and we tell stories about those conversations um, and the issues and topics that arise out of it. And I mentioned that project because I'm super excited because we have a, a Tiller Press, which is a Simon & Schuster property, has a book coming out about that project um, in September. Um, one of the things that I got from watching your TED talk was the sense that this was a very personal issue slash subject to you, the divide, the national divide, uh, the divides in uh, many different areas. Is there an example of something that you've experienced that got you wanting to make uh, these kinds of changes? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I've always been driven as a journalist by by service, right? By an interest in, in helping communities, um, both by giving them information, um, but also by helping create community and helping communities um, know themselves and make decisions and understand, the, both make decisions and understand what's happening around them, right? And so that is a very personal drive. So I, um, as, and, and Spaceship was born in 2016, and what I was seeing was these just, increasing which fractures in our in our public spaces and we see them now in you know i don't know how to characterize where we are now from there but it's worse right and so it is this personal mission to think about what can i as a person who has these skills in listening has these skills in information vetting has these skills in holding community how can i support the fabric of our democracy how can i support the public square right um, and i think Spaceship was born from really thinking about how could I take these skills that I have in knowing people and coming forward with empathy and telling story and, and make them really a vital critical use. And I think that's why we've been so successful, right? Because the, the state we're in now, which is very complicated and amplified by, you know, amplified by bad actors and all sorts, it's very complicated and difficult, but this state we're in is bad for all of us, right? It's not a good way to live where we hate the other side, where we don't know who to trust, where we feel lost and confused and overwhelmed if, you know, a lot when we look at the news. So I think that in that sense, it's deeply personal. It's like, what can I do with the skills I have from where I sit to serve the greater good? What was the, I know that you started this up with someone else originally. What was the startup process for it like? Yeah, it was super interesting. I mean, it came, it came really from us having this uh, sense of what would we do if we could do anything, right? Um, as journalists now, like what would be the best thing we could do? And we were um, fiddling around with a podcast for a while. And then we were, we were, we kind of were thinking about, could we partner with, with incarcerated people? Like what could we do and what would we have value? And then it, it, it really came in response to, I would say, the, what I already mentioned, which is like the, the state of national news and information and public discourse. And also kind of me 
um, thinking about how I'd always felt at odds with some of the ways that journalists are supposed to practice their craft. Like I always knew I had bias. I always knew that every story I, choose, I chose to run, run or not run, every person I talked to or didn't, every quote that I chose, I knew that had, had came from somewhere. It came from my ideas of what was important and, and, and if you look deeper, my identity, my life experience, all that stuff. And so it was in certain ways like a coming out, like I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna say to people, these are my views, but doesn't mean I can't hold you in conversation from a range of views. And it doesn't mean I can't, I carry views and ideas about the world, but it doesn't mean I can't give you um, carefully vetted information. And then and part of our work, and if people want to dive into it, it's, it's pretty clearly outlined on our website, is, is, is giving people reporting in a non-narrative form to, to really break down um, story and say, here's, what you, here's a list of facts and figures about what you need to know versus a narrative story that has a lead that I would argue often points one way and a final quote that points usually the same way. And so it's, um, you know, it comes from, from, from that. How does a, a project go from idea to completion? I was going through some of the, the, the different things that you've uh, done, and I would encourage others to do that on your page. And each, of the, each one of them were very impressive in the way that you were able to gather people from both sides, uh, the discussions that came out of those, the long list of links that went with, uh, with each of those to things that got done. Uh, how does, how does a, the path of a story kind of, and the path of a project here come to be? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's a long path and it takes a lot of heart and passion and um, effort. But what, you know, what we aim at core is always to be responsive to, to our community and the, the people we're serving. So typically we start by partnering with an existing news organization um, and talking about what's happening now in their community, what's relevant, what are people talking about. Um, and then we always frame, we invite people into a conversation, right? We say something along the lines of, are you open to or interested in a fact-based, respectful conversation with people on opposite sides of this issue? Um, and people are, not everybody is, but a lot of people are. And then we ask people, we ask a series of questions that invite people to reflect um, on where they stand and also what they think about the other side. And you can't see me, but I'm putting that in quotes. <laughs> and, uh, and then we ask people what they think of the other side. We ask people what they think the other side thinks of them. We ask them what they wanna know. And we ask about the other side and, and vice versa. And so we, we want to begin to, at the beginning of these projects, we're asking people to think about their own stereotypes, think about the own bag, their baggage they carry, and invite curiosity, right? Because while we, we tend to forget this, and, and what's beautiful about this work is every time we run this process, it, it brings a softening. People are like, oh yeah, this can't really be true. Like all people who support abortion can't, oh, this, this or, or vice versa, right? You, once you start to slow down and think and remember the things we know about how we talk to people when we're talking well, it, it, it's this great softening. And then we, usually these projects have run on Facebook, um, not always and more and more they're not, but it, we do a month long closed, carefully moderated, carefully supported conversation in partnership with a news organization. And then we tell stories about the conversation, which we think is newsworthy, and also just about the things that arise. Like, so if people are talking about a particular issue, that becomes the backbone for story. Um, so it's a long process, it's intensive, but it's really transformative, I think, both for journalists and also for um, the people who participate. 
what's the value of time here? Meaning that this is a completely different experience from the round table that you might see on the news or that you might read about in a paper where you have kind of a, a both sides uh, brought together just for a, a moment in time. Uh, does time uh, prevent situations where, uh, well, I would imagine you have some combativeness, but that that dissipates and two, you run into situations where people might not be fully honest in a one-time setting, but over multiple months, like your group is doing, uh, you're more likely to get, to get more honest dialogue. Look, anything worth doing, we know this takes a lot of time. You know, we're a society now that wants a quick fix. We want to solve it. We want to, you know, just have this immediacy that, and we want to transform, like there's a contest going now on now for like a 15 minute activity that will depolarize people, you know? And I, and I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. But then in reality, people don't change like that. And so it's, it's, it's giving people chance to come and come again, to, to slow down, to think about, um, to, to reflect on their own behavior, to, to take a breath for an hour or days um, and so that time has, has real value of, um, just o opening space up for exploration. I mean, it's, it's a, a lot of what we do is an, a, an antidote to, you know, the really well-documented problems and challenges of our, of the way we live on social media typically and the way we live in the news and e information ecosystem now. So the day that I watched your TED talk, I also read an article in the New York Times about white evangelicals in Iowa and why they support Donald Trump. And it was like the connection was right there for me to what you do, that these are people that have this viewpoint that is very uh, specific. Uh, it's, they, they've had this viewpoint. It's something that's been there for them for a long period of time, and they don't necessarily have the exposure to the other uh, side of things. I give that as just an anecdote uh, here to look at it from a, a broader perspective. What are the groups that you're most proud of that you've brought together? It's so funny, uh, uh, Mark, as you were talking, because I wrote down, as you were talking, I wrote down the word exposure and circled it, and then you said exposure, which amuses me. But um, because so many people simply don't have uh, exposure to people who feel differently than them. Um, you asked me about my, my favorite projects. I don't know that I have a favorite project, but the, the thing that makes me, that I feel most lucky to be a part of is the, um, and this sounds very non-journalistic and kind of hokey, but the ways in which I've grown during this work and the ways in which people and communities that I've worked with have grown during this work and also the way journalists have grown during this work. It's like, I, I think a lot about extension of empathy and, and um, kind of pushing towards the edge of what I, what is familiar, what is what I consider right, what I consider normal and, and, and trying to really imagine uh, life for other people and what their ideas and values and stresses and dreams are about. Um, and I think about that for journalists and, and the people we work with as well. Are there specific projects? Like you've done a, a guns project, yeah. you, you brought um, people together in Minnesota, uh, which I was gonna get to in a second, rural and non-rural uh, together. Um, can you just give an example then of just one uh, yeah. and, and how it kind of uh, all came together? 
This is a pilot project that we did before we did um, this national conversation that brought women from California together with who voted for Clinton together with yep. women from Alabama who voted for Trump. But prior to that, we did a little pilot project um, that between students of color in my town, I live in a town of about 75,000 called Alameda in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so students of color and cops. And we, um, we started by... Uh, finding police officers who were willing to to be a part of this conversation and finding a classroom, um, uh, a teacher who was willing to let us work with the students in his classroom and offer them this opportunity. And we ran the process of um, interviewing, um, and it, it took, it was a little atypical and that we interviewed the police officers separately, interviewed students separately, and then had a reporter literally going back and forth, varying questions and answers between those two, what we think of as communities. Um, and then we built, and it's on our website, an interactive. So what was nice about that project, and it, you know, it, it was relevant then and it's relevant now, is, is how little um, sort of direct, uh, real, genuine contact um, both of those two groups had with each other. And so the, the students asked really, kind of their, their questions were very revealing. So they'd say things like, is it the same police officer who stops me on the corner that goes to a shootout? What are the kind of weapons that police officers have in their car? What does a, a police officer think when they make a stop? What, do, um, what a lot of questions about sort of rights and procedures. And, and then the officers had questions like, have, what have students actual interaction with us been um, in the community? Or are they getting their information um, from video, you know, from, from, from outside of the community. And so there was just a lot of um, sort of gentle softening uh, and curiosity that, that our reporting fulfilled in a, in, a, in a very sweet way. I mean, then we, and then we ended by, after we had run this process, we all got together. There was, they had the opportunity for in-person facilitated dialogue. Um, and you can, you can see more about that on the site. But that one was dear to me because A, it was the first, our first effort ever, and B, because um, it was so humanizing so quickly. Um, and I think when we live in such a heightened state of anger, frustration, knee-jerk reactivity on all sides, um, having these opportunities to slow down, to be curious, to reconnect, to fill the void of you know, conjecture and speculation with actual reported info is, is very grounding and has an enduring value. I'm going to read a quote from your page that I think goes right to that. So many times we forget to listen, and this exercise was helpful in training us to do that. Listen with our hearts and minds in an effort to better understand our neighbors. I was thinking as you were talking about uh, how it's helped you grow, I was thinking about the mental health of the people involved uh, in these projects that you organize, and it reminded me of something that I read in the self-help book, Don't Sweat the Small <laughs> Stuff, about understanding separate realities. Was there any connection between getting people together and the improved mental health of the people that were uh, participants, even anecdotal? Um, yeah, I would say anecdotally, look, I, I, and I really believe this, like how we're living now, where we, where we live in, I, I don't know you specifically, but a whole lot of people I know are living in these heightened states of, I mean, the, you know, the pandemic has a whole nother layer of, of real, stress and trauma to, to, to people, but with the, in terms of our political and social divides, this state of anger and disdain and dismissiveness and reactivity, 
you know, everything we know about how we work as, as human organisms lets us know that that's bad for our health, right? Stress is bad for our health. Animosity is bad for our health. Um, thinking the worst is bad for our health. And so it's, it's very clear that, that it feels better. I mean, we know this from our life experience. If we're having a tension with a roommate or tension with a partner or tension with a child, when we can find a way to resolve it, when we can find a way to, to kind of settle and, and, and know that we don't agree necessarily, like, but that we can, that we're not vilifying one another. It, it feels so much better. I mean, it's, I find it um, just fascinating. And again and again, that like the core things we know about being human, about being a coworker, about being a parent, about being in a relationship, we somehow forget when we take to the political arena. Um, and that, and it's, it's an interesting um, kind of, twist of, of, our, of understanding, like we know what feels better. We know how to get our way in the workplace or we know, you know, we know the kinds of things that will help. We know how to influence a person if we're trying to, you know, work with a child or something. But when we go into the political arena, we think we have to, we think we're going to be effective by being just raging assholes or we, or we decide that that's the only way. And it isn't. Well, with that in mind, why are journalists ideal to fulfill the role that you're asking them to fulfill here? I, I love journalists right there. To, to be a journalist, you have to have a whole lot of confidence and curiosity and toughness. Um, and, and I don't know, it's an, it's an interesting question. I don't know if journalists are the right people, but we hold, we are the fourth estate, right? We are the guardians of the, of the public sphere. And, and we, you know, one of the things I say over and over, over again, when I'm inviting journalists to reflect on their practices, if what we were doing, we were working, I don't think we would be here, right? We, as a, and I'm speaking in broad generalizations, but as journalists, we don't have the trust of people. So what, you know, what are we doing to, what do we need to do to change ourselves? Like we, you know, we know that if you're doing something and it's not working, you should change what you're doing. Probably you should think about what you're doing and change it. Um, but again, we forget that, you know, we have journalists doubling down on facts matter, trust me, trust me. But what we know about trust is that, you know, relationships come before trust. I don't trust you because you say you should. In fact, I wouldn't be smart to. I trust you because, you know, if you're like when I was a local journalist, I showed up again and again and again. And I said, yeah, whoops, I made a mistake. Thank you. Or yes, I should report that. Or yes, that's important. Or, you know, you, you, show, you build a relationship over time. And so I don't know that journalists are the the um right person but what i do know is that that we're in a we're in sort of a slow moving long-term crisis of inf around information and journalism and public square and so and journalists are at the heart of that so what to do to, to fix it um but and journalists are adaptable too right the um the the transition from that i normally if this was in my normal job, I host a sports-related podcast. I would say, tell me about your players. In this case, I'm going to say, <laughs> tell me about your staff. Not necessarily who they are, but the traits that they have that make them good at their job. I struggle to find people who, are, who have a really wide skill, skill set, right? So there's who, can, who have sort of the core basic skills of journalism, which is like, very serious attention to detail, good research, good writing, um, the utmost integrity, um, a real commitment to accuracy and, and parsing detail. And then this, you know, what is typically just thought of as softer skills, this like 
wide open empathy and um, awareness of themselves and, and what kind of biases and ideas they bring to the table. And so it's a very interesting and complicated skill set, right? Um, and more and more I'm diversifying. So like I have people who moderate conversations who are, who are separate from the reporters who are reporting into conversation. Although I really, I'm always on the lookout and this is not a plug for people who are really interested in the world work and who see the, the, all the ways that it, it, it interconnects. And, and how is your group funded? Um, so we have been lucky enough to be the recipient of many grants um, from, you know, the Democracy Fund, the News Integrity Initiative, Rita Allen Foundation, many, many, um, Knight Foundation. Um, and so that typically has gone to fund, you know, specific projects. Um, we also do increasingly a lot of consulting, helping journalistic organizations think about what kind what kind of work they want to do in their newsrooms and how they can take some or all of the principles of our work into specific projects. So we, we work with um, working down in Alabama with the Alabama media group with a group of all women talking about social and political change. And so there we do a lot of moderation support and helping them think about that conversation in relation to their reporting and that conversation in relation to their community. So it's been a mix and it's um, as anyone who's in journalism or uh, social good work news, uh, ongoing scramble. And certainly during the <laughs> pandemic, uh, that, that poses even more challenges as far as uh, trying, to, how, much, how much of a split is there for you between um, trying to get funding and trying to work on the editorial side? Um, you know, it changes like, uh, we'll have a big push um, and, and, you know, get some funding for some work and then uh, we'll do the work and then there'll be another push. Um, I am I'm actually um, really thinking about right when the pandemic hit, I framed up a pitch for a, a conversation around COVID specifically, you know, helping people make choices related to their safety. Um, and I now have held on that, but I think um, coming after the election, uh, we'll begin fundraising in earnest um, for really thinking about people's safety in relation to information and disinformation. Um, so to answer your question, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a scramble and it's, um, it's, it's also, I feel really lucky because I am able to do work that I think makes the most sense possible. And that's, I think that's all any of us can wish for. Another quote, this one from Elizabeth Dunbar of Minnesota Public Radio, who worked with your group on a project. My whole reason for becoming a journalist was to provide people with information they could use to improve their lives and make their communities better. I wasn't convinced my reporting on the environment was having any impact. That was why she turned to dialogue journalism, the work that you do. Are you going to, uh, you, you kind of alluded to what you're working on for the future. Are you going to try to, uh, I don't want to say like franchise the approach, but are you trying to, to encourage uh, others to pursue this sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we can, we definitely offer news organizations training um, around moderation, around, you know, difficult conversations. We, we offer newsrooms training around how to do a full scale conversation. So that, you know, that's all there. Um, I being me always want to do like the next hard thing. Um, and so I'm super interested in um, misinformation and disinformation right now. Yep. Uh, so we're, I'm looking forward to doing a 
project in partnership with ASU's News Collab, which um, does a whole lot of really innovative things um, in journalism. And they are they have a course on helping older adults identify news and information. And we're going to host a conversation um, in conjunction with them around helping people build those skills. So uh, how, how do you how do we vet what we see and how do we make sure what we share is accurate and how do we, you know, all those things that are, you know, I mess up sometimes and this is my, this is my ecosystem. And, and so um, I'm really interested in helping people figure out how to, how to operating, how about to operate more successfully in a really fractured and difficult um, social and interpersonal world around news. So um We'll see where that takes me. That takes me to the last portion of the interview, which I call the pay it forward segment. Uh, two parts to this. One, uh, is there a piece of advice that you would like to provide to aspiring journalists, like an overarching uh, kind of theme? Yeah, and this is like, I, I, it ran through my head, my answer to you, but then I think it's true, which is I have been successful when I trust my gut uh, just against all, all, all odds. And I have found floundered or foundered when I just, when I compromise it, when I don't, um, when I soften something uh, for, for all the various reasons. So I know that that is, that is hard advice, but um, just really believe in yourself and trust your good instincts. Now I, I thought you were, I actually thought you were going to go, tell the chicken bone story that I heard in one of the other things that you, uh, Oh yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> well, now I feel like I need to tell it. Or Go ahead. This is my father's story. Um, and he asked his mother, um, why she's making chicken soup and he asks, why does she break, uh, the chicken up before she puts it in the pot? And she says, I don't know, go ask your grandmother and I'm going to get the generational parts wrong, but he goes up the generational chain. And then finally, um, the answer is I break the chicken bone that break the chicken up because the pot we had was too small. So basically the idea there is like, just because it's what you were told to do, just because uh, it's what somebody did before you doesn't mean it's still relevant and doesn't mean it's the right thing. And I think that particularly holds true now with respect to journalism, because the world is so deeply profoundly different than when there was one or two newspapers in your town and they came onto your porch in the morning or the afternoon and there was, you know, just a few voices of authority and I'm putting it in quotation marks. Um, it's just, you, you know, we are in a different way of being in relationship to knowledge and fact and reality. And so we, it is incumbent on us to act differently and act differently very quickly. Seems like good advice. Um, is there a journalism organization that you would like to salute? Um, you know, there's a couple um, allies um, in the academic world that have been, uh, you know, when we, when Jeremy and I, who I co-founded Spaceship with, started doing this work, there were a bunch of people that extended their hands right away and, and helped a lot. Um, and people have been doing what's called engaged, engagement journalism for a long time. And so um, up in Oregon, there's University of Oregon. They have a platform called Gather that brings together people who are in doing engaged journalism. Um, that's really nice. Uh, in New York, um, CUNY's um, Craig Newmark School is their social journalism school. 
um, does a lot of innovative things and uh, we've hired a number of their students. And then down in Arizona is ASU's News Collab and they've been um, tremendously supportive as well. Um, I would urge people who are curious to go look at the, those, those places to, to see what kinds of things people are experimenting with um, around getting people the news and information they need to, to live. Eve Perlman, thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, it was a super pleasure. I appreciate your questions. I go back to the question that Eve asked at the beginning of the interview. What could we do if we could do anything? As journalists, we have a chance to make an impact and make a difference. I applaud any journalism organization that says, let's make an impact, let's make a difference, as Spaceship Media does. For more information, check out their website at spaceshipmedia.org. In particular, I recommend their About page and the Seven Steps to Dialogue Journalism. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, known as Father Journalism at Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey. Dr. Cole impacted hundreds of students in his 33 years at the school. One of the most important things he taught them was to care deeply about their work. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow on Twitter at Journalism Salute. S-A-L-U-T, no E. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.